are in part two of a series called It's Okay to Not Be Okay. That's a series all around mental health, and uh, I believe it's an important topic for us to discuss, uh, something that affects all of us. And uh, each week, we're kind of a four-part series. If you're new to Catalyst, we teach in series. And last week, we talked about this idea of how do we find freedom from those things where we feel stuck in life, those things that we do that we wish we didn't do, which we all have. And today, uh, we're going to continue the conversation. And I want to talk today, in fact, I've entitled today's message, Prevail Through Pain. Prevail Through Pain. I was reminded this week, my oldest daughter, Hannah, um, uh, we have three kids. Uh, Hannah's our oldest. And when she was young, like a, like a baby, uh, I remember we had to take her in for uh, vaccines and her shots and, you know, all of those things. And she was now maybe one years old or so, but she did not like uh, to take shots at all, which I don't blame her as a 41 year old man. I still don't like to take shots. Come on, somebody. Um, and, and I was, I remember it, it would be so significant. Like both, it wouldn't just be either Christina or I go with her. We would both go. Come on, parents. You're like, we need support. Let's both go together to comfort her as she takes these shots. Now, she didn't want to experience the pain because she did not know that, you know, her young mind, she did not know these shots are actually in the long term going to keep her healthy. Uh, these, these are actually, these shots are going to be good for you. It's going to help you not have measles <laughs> as you get older. As a, as a one-year-old, she just thought about the pain. She didn't have the perspective that we have as adults, that even though I don't like shots, I'll still go get a vaccine or whatever might be needed because I have the perspective of this is good for me. And I was thinking of that because pain is an inevitable part of life. In fact, I've, I've been now, uh, you know, I've been in a, in a, I was a psychologist, now I was a pastor. I've been, my working years, 19 years of, of working with people. And I, I've kind of learned is that most people at any given time are walking through some type of pain in their life. Whether it's the pain of grieving the loss of a loved one, um, the pain of a, maybe a romantic relationship ending, maybe the pain of a stressful season at work, maybe the pain of the pressures of raising young kids, maybe the pain of a financial hardship or the pain of dealing with a chronic illness or physical pain, maybe the pain of loving someone who has an illness or battling an addiction, that at any given time, I've just learned this, is that at any given time, the people around us uh, may be walking through some pain. And I, I think, honestly, it's a healthy perspective to have because you know what I've learned? It actually helps you be a lot more gentle and compassionate with people around you. And you never know what someone's walking through. You might see a certain side of them at work, but you don't know what they're dealing with at home. You might see a certain side of somebody here at church, but you have no idea the pain that they're walking through privately. So when you have that posture, I've learned it helps you to be a lot more gentle and, and compassionate towards people. But I wanna talk about this idea of pain because we all walk through it. We all experience it. And the Bible is actually full of men and women who experienced pain and suffering. You read the Psalms, much of the Psalms are written by David who, who, who is experiencing deep pain. I mean, David had King Saul, his, his boss, his superior, trying to kill him. Come on, somebody. That's a toxic work environment. <laughs> he had his son, 
Absalom betray him. Like you look in the scriptures, Paul, Paul's like, I was shipwrecked, I was beaten, I was left for dead. His own people betrayed him and turned their back on him. Like Paul, Paul had gone through significant pain. In fact, many of the letters of the New Testament we read were written to Christians being persecuted for their faith. Just because they professed Jesus Christ, they were going through hardship and difficulty. So actually one of the common themes in the scripture is pain. In fact, Jesus said this in John 16, to use the words from our Savior, verse 33, he said, I've told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Watch this. He says, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Many trials and sorrows. But take heart because I've overcome the world. So Jesus didn't say, oh man, you need to go ahead and be discouraged. No, he says, but take heart. And here's what I want to submit to you today. Here's how we prevail through pain. We can prevail through the pains of life when we have God's perspective on pain. And we're going to look at scripture today to get God's perspective on pain. Because I think when we have God's perspective on pain, it doesn't mean, let me just say this off the bat. It doesn't mean that the pain doesn't hurt anymore. Pain is pain right? And I actually think we can very much live in the reality of the spiritual truth while also acknowledging the human side of things. Can I get an amen? Like we live, we are citizens of a, of the kingdom of heaven, but yet we live here on earth. So, so we can, we can live with the reality of heaven, but still acknowledge that man, it's painful here on earth. Sometimes it's hard here on earth. But my hope today, I believe that God's going to encourage us through his scripture. Let's pray, and then we're going to dive in. Father, we thank you for your word. It's truly a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. As we open up your word today, Holy Spirit, illuminate the words to us, speak to us. We love you. We honor you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. We're going to look at first, uh, 2 Corinthians. I want to read a couple of scriptures out of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. A few scriptures from Paul. We're going to read a lot of Paul today, actually, out of his letters. He has a lot to say about suffering and hardship and pain. He says, praise be to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion. This is 2 Corinthians 1, 3. And the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Verse six, if we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort. Watch this, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. So Paul says, a pain actually produces something on the inside of us. He says it actually produces a patient endurance in us. Again, Paul, what you're going to notice, a lot of the New Testament writers, they don't talk about how to avoid pain. They don't, they don't even get discouraged about pain. In fact, you're going to see they commonly say rejoice in sufferings and pain. And, and Paul here says, because pain produces something on the inside of us. Again, Paul has moral authority to say this because he's been through things most of us, I don't know everyone in this room, but I would say most of us have, have never experienced. Imprisoned for his faith, beaten for his faith, left for dead for his faith, People turned their back on him because of his faith. He was once wealthy and became poor because of his faith. I mean, he went through the gamut of hardship. 
but he says there's something that's produced. And here's what I found in my own life and that we see all throughout the scriptures is that actually pain can produce growth in us when we learn to rely on God in the midst of pain. So I wanna give you three truths to give us God's perspective on pain so we can prevail through pain. And here's the first truth that we see in the scripture is that pain invites God's power into our life. Pain invites God's power into our life. Philippians 3.10, Paul says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. This is a strong statement. He said, I wanna know his sufferings, he says. He says, I wanna know Christ. There's something about pain and suffering that makes us get to know God a little bit better. We know this, right? When you're in pain, your prayer life goes up. Come on, somebody. You never pay, prayed as passionately until you're walking through a storm. Like, like you, you know that all of a sudden you become more dependent on God's word. You're looking for scriptures of encouragement when you're walking through pain. Paul says, I wanna walk through suffering so I can know Christ more. He also says there's, there's, a, there's a power. I wanna know the power of his resurrection. I, I wanna make a public apology if you are a physical therapist in the room um, because before I ever had to go to a physical therapist, um, I often wondered why people went to a physical therapist because you can look up every exercise on the internet and do it at home. Come on. I was like, why do you need to go into an office if I can just look it up on the internet and I can do it at home? Well, that was like my perspective until I injured my rotator cuff so much so I couldn't lift my arm any higher than this. And I went to a, a, a sports doctor and, and he says, you need to go to physical therapy. So I went to my physical therapist. In about six weeks, your boy was back here again. Come on, somebody. I'd be in church worshiping like this. Come on. <laughs> What's that? Is he calling a penalty? What's happening here? <sighs> and uh, listen, I did not realize the power of a physical therapist until I was in pain. That's why Paul says, I actually boast in my weakness. Paul writes, like I boast when things are really hard, like when I've been beaten and in prison, man, I love it because then I experience the perfect power of God. So Paul says, God, I want to know your suffering so I can know the power of your resurrection. And here's the beauty of pain. The beauty of pain enables us to experience the full power of the great physician. Paul says, I want to know it. I want to experience it. Pastor, how do we experience this pain, this power in our life? Psalm 119, 28, David writes this. David, very familiar with pain. He says, my soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. When I had taken Hannah to get her, her shot to the doctor, as any good father, as I was trying to convince her to stay still for the doctor, I made her a promise. I said, Hannah, if you will sit still for this doctor, afterwards we will have vanilla ice cream with rainbow sprinkles. <sighs> did her father have some as well? You bet I did, okay? <laughs> it is always the will of God to have vanilla ice cream with rainbow sprinkles. 
And the promise of ice cream enabled her to sit there for that moment and get that shot in her arm. It was the promise of something better. God's word is chock full of promises. And God's word says not one of his promises will ever return empty. That what God says he will do, God will do. Can I give you a couple of promises today when you're walking through pain? If you're walking through pain today, here's number one. Is this the promise? Is that God is with me. Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David writes this as a shepherd. And what would happen would shepherd would lead their sheep into these dark ravines. And sheep, if they were with a good shepherd, they weren't afraid because they had a rod in their belt. And that rod was used to beat off predators. And they had a staff that led them that helped to point them in the right direction of where they were supposed to go. And David says in the same way, you God are the good shepherd and your rod is protecting me and your staff is directing me. So even though I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and maybe for you today, you're walking right now through the valley of the shadow of grief, the shadow of chronic illness, the shadow of a divorce, the shadow of a child with a disability, maybe the shadow of a stressful work environment, and you are walking through real legitimate pain, I would encourage you, even if it feels like God is not there, God is with you. And his word says he will never leave you, nor will he forsake you. In fact, he is right beside you and his rod and his staff will comfort you. So what's that mean, pastor? Listen, that means when you're in the midst of pain, you can go to God for direction. God, I need help. Help me to navigate this situation. Help me to navigate this relationship tension. Help me to navigate what I'm walking through right now at work. God, I need your direction, God, because his staff will lead you. The second promise is God will strengthen me. He will strengthen me. Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The psalmist wrote this when, when the people of God were under attack. So he says, he, like they're in the middle of being attacked by an outside army. And he says, oh God, you are my refuge. God, you are my ever-present help in time of need. And can I tell you what I found pastoring people in my own life? When you are walking through seasons of pain, there's a propensity to, instead of running to the presence of God, push away from the presence of God because you may feel overwhelmed. You may even wonder, is God even with me? But can I tell you the very thing you need when you are walking through pain, when you are walking through hardship, when you are walking through suffering, when you are walking through stress, is you need to run to the presence of God because in the presence of God, he says he heals the brokenhearted. And there've been moments, I'm going to tell you church for me, that I have been in the presence of God where I have sensed the healing balm of the spirit of God. That what you need most actually when you are under stress is you need his presence. The Bible said in his presence, there's the fullness of joy. That in his presence, there's a peace beyond all comprehension. And what you need when you're in pain is you need the presence of God. Here's the last truth I want to share with you. Is that God is working all things together for my good. Maybe my favorite one. 
Romans 8, 28, the apostle Paul says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Let me just say two caveats about this. Does not mean that everything's gonna be easy. He didn't promise that. Also, this is God's definition of good, not ours. Be careful we don't overlay a Western definition of good onto the scriptures. Because sometimes actually what's good may not feel good in the moment. And we all know this, right? Like we know this. Like what always like, he's not saying I'm gonna work all things together for pleasure. <laughs> he says for good in your life. Today's Super Bowl Sunday. I don't know when you're watching online, but it's Super Bowl Sunday in 2024, whenever you watch this. And um, I was reminded of Super Bowl 51. And I apologize in advance for all the Atlanta Falcons fans because I'm gonna trigger some trauma for your life. Um, the Atlanta Falcons were up 21 to three on the New England Patriots. And uh, the, the game, I mean, the Falcons were handling the Patriots. So there were Patriots fans obviously in attendance. In fact, I, read, I watched the story of a, of a dad and son, Joel and Zach Kornblight, sitting in section 338. And at this point, they, in the third quarter, the Patriots had a possession and they didn't score. So this father and son said, this is too painful to watch our favorite team lose. They left the stadium. They got into an Uber. They're going back to their hotel. The radio has the game on. And they start to hear one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, Tom Brady, come back. So they stop the Uber driver. They say, pull over. They run into a sports bar and they watched arguably the greatest Super Bowl comeback, not from their seats in the stadium, but in a television set like the rest of America. <laughs> they gave up on their quarterback. He can't come, he can't come back. He, he, he's over, but he's one of the greatest. You know, it can be a propensity for all of us. You can be right now walking through a really hard season in your marriage and you can think there's no way God can turn this around. You can right now have been dealing with an illness for seven years and you may have given up all hope for healing. There's no way this will be healed. This is just, I'm supposed to deal with this in life. You, you might be walking through a really hard season at work right now and you might think to yourself, man, there's no way this can turn around. Hey, can I encourage you? God is the ultimate comeback king. In fact, he's the ultimate comeback, king of kings. In fact, Joseph, just read the story of Joseph, right? 14 years, this man. I mean, I mean he, was, he was sold into slavery. He was imprisoned. In Genesis 50, 20, he says, what the enemy meant for evil, God turned for good. I, I'm declaring that right now for some of you in this room. What the enemy has meant for evil, God is going to turn for good. We just remain faithful and keep believing. Listen, stand upon the promises of God and experience the power of his spirit. Amen? Here's number two. Here's number two. Truth about pain. Is that pain grows my faith and character. Romans 5.3, Paul says, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that the suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Do you know that Paul, Peter, and James make up the majority of the books of the New Testament? All three men wrote, we rejoice in sufferings. 
Now, either these three men are absolutely crazy, or they were onto something. And they actually write this, all three of them, to Christians being persecuted. And they say, man, you need to rejoice in your suffering. Oh, man, you should rejoice in being persecuted. You should rejoice in that stress you're experiencing. You should rejoice in that hardship. You should rejoice in that pain. Like, like if someone told you that to your face, you might be tempted to punch them in their face. Come on. Like rejoice. But he says, because pain produces something in us. Can I tell you, pain, a lot of times, be careful if you're like, God, grow me, Lord. Are you, are you sure? <laughs> I want to grow this year, God. And you think, I'm going to have four Bible studies. Now listen, you should do a Bible study. But I have found pain is the, oftentimes the best environment to grow us. Think about it. Probably your seasons of greatest growth were painful. It wasn't the mountaintops. It wasn't when everything was up and to the right. Like, you don't develop humility when everything's great. <laughs> humility is developed when you fall flat on your face. You don't become less self-centered when everything is wonderful. You often become more. So, listen, pain, pain is a great, produces great growth in us. We grow during seasons of pain and suffering. You grow in forgiveness when that family member hurts you. You grow in humility after a failed relationship. You grow in your stewardship after a difficult season financially. You grow in your faith in a, during a season of waiting for your prayers to come to pass. There's a term in psychology called post-traumatic growth. The University of, of Washington found that 70% of people who experience some sort of trauma or pain grow. Oftentimes, a greater appreciation for life, uh, a renewed perspective on life, a renewed purpose. There was a meta-analysis done by the European Journal of Trauma, and they actually found there are several factors that contributed to whether or not you actually grow through pain. And two of them are very biblical, what they call positive reappraisal. It means you look for the good in the midst of the hard. The second was social support. I preached groups really strongly for two weeks, so I won't preach it as strong today. But if you need another reminder, if you're still not in a community group, come on, somebody. Do not go through pain without faith-filled people. The, the clinical research is even saying it. It's actually bad for you to walk through pain alone. You need other people to come alongside you. But looking for the, for the good and the bad. Here's how I want to say it. Ready? This is actually the God perspective. Is look for the presence of God in the midst of your heart. Like, like seek God and say, God, what are you doing in this season? Because I see the pain before me. Like I see the tension in my relationship and I don't see any improvement. God, I'm walking through this stress. You know what I found in my own life? God is often wanting to do something in me when I'm walking through a painful season. And, and, and a lot of times we want God to deliver us from the pain, but he actually wants to deliver us through the pain because it's the pain that produces something in you that will actually produce the life you've been praying for. So he wants to, he wants to, that's why Paul says, I, I boast in my weakness. 
because God strengthens me so I can, I can walk through this pain. Is God, what are you doing in this season of my life? How are you wanting to grow me as a person in this season that is hard? Psalm 6610, the psalmist writes, for you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. The psalmist was referring back to when the Israelites were in captivity. He says, God, when we were enslaved, we were in captivity, you were refining our character. We were learning to become less self-dependent and more dependent on you, God. You were refining us. As I was thinking about refining metals, I was reminded of years ago, we um, had taken Christina's engagement ring in for a cleaning at the jeweler. jeweler. And I remember about a week after, you know, they, they, got, they gave it back to us, we picked it up, like the ring looked brand new like complete luster restored. I mean, beautiful. So it got me intrigued. So I did some research. I'm like, what do they actually do to make this ring look brand new? It's called ultrasonic cleaning. Here's what ultrasonic cleaning is. If you take your jewelry into your wedding ring or whatever it is into a jeweler, here's what it'll do. They inject a little bit of liquid into the, into the, the ring, into the jewelry. And then they, they agitate the metal. They, they, they aggressively vibrate the metal. And then the liquid works its way into all the crevices. And what it does is through the duress that it's under in the agitation, it removes all the contaminants and the bacteria, restoring the luster that was lost. Paul, Peter says, or the psalmist says, you're refined in the midst of hardship. That what God does, there's nothing quite like pain to remove the contaminants in your character. There's nothing quite like pain to remove your pride and make you more humble. There's nothing quite like pain to make you a little less greedy and more generous. There's nothing quite like pain to make us a little less self-centered and more others-centered. It removes those contaminants. Peter says it this way. He says, greatly rejoice. Again, see this again, this common thing, greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now listen, their griefs of all kinds of trials wasn't like they had to replace their alternator in their car or they had a bad meeting at work. They were being physically assaulted for their faith. So it wasn't a light thing. He's like, you have these little trials in here. It's okay. You're fearing for your life. Greatly rejoice. (laughs) He says, these have come to prove the genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, a reference again to metal, which perishes, watch this, even though refined by fire may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. I remember years ago, I walked into a friend's of mine's house and they had this kitchen table and it looked really worn. Like someone had used it for the past 15 years outside and their dog used it, right? It was like, it was just worn. And I was like, hey, you got a new table? He's like, yeah, I just got it. I paid like, I don't know, it was like $2,000. Like, I think you're ripped off, man. Like it's... This looks really bad, really, really rough. It was distressed wood. Now you can tell I obviously have no eye for interior decor, Travis. That's, 
Because I'm like, what's wrong with your table, bro? Why did you buy a beaten up table? But it's popular, right? People love distressed wood. You now see distressed wood everywhere. And uh, I'm like, we can help you distress your wood. I got three kids and a dog. Just send me your table. Um, I did some research. I was like, how do they make this dress wood? How do they make this appearance? Right? They knew this new wood, they cut it, this lumber. How do they make it? You ready for this? Now you can go do this yourself, all right? Save yourself money. Here's what they do. This is from Home Depot's website. <laughs> True story. They take blunt tools and create dents and nicks and divots in the wood. It gets better. They take a metal chain with a long screw and the man drags it across the table. This is that $3,000 table you bought. This is what happened. Some dude was in a garage somewhere just dragging a screw across it. Then here's the, here's the kicker, ready? They take two pieces of wood and in the middle they put tons of gravel and a grown man stands on top of it and he surfs. So the gravel just gets all up in those little, that's your beautiful table. That's what it went through. The table you eat on tonight, your, your chicken wings while you watch the football game, a grown man stood on in a garage at Home Depot. I thought to myself, we find distress wood more beautiful than regular lumber. Peter says, a distressed faith is more beautiful than a faith that hasn't been tested and refined. You ever met somebody who just maybe has something really horrible happen to them, but the joy of the Lord is all over them? It's beautiful. You ever met somebody who's walking through sickness and they still have faith that God can still heal? It's beautiful. You ever, walk, you ever met somebody who are walking through perhaps insurmountable stress, but the peace of the Lord is on their life? It's beautiful. Peter says, oh, greatly rejoice in suffering. It's actually producing a more beautiful faith on the inside of you. That when others see it, they're saying there's something different about this Jesus. Because they have peace when they should be stressed out of their mind. They have a joy when they should be in mourning. They're still believing when they should have given up. Produces a beautiful faith. Point three. My last point is that pain has a redemptive purpose. In that 2 Corinthians 1 scripture, Paul says... We are comforted, we comfort others with the same comfort that we receive from God. So Paul says, there's a purpose to your pain actually. I was reminded years ago when I was working as a psychologist in an alternative school for students who had been expelled from their home school, uh, either for committing a felony in the community or a violent offense. And I, I worked uh, with a lot of the young men and one, I had these lunch groups that I would, I would lead and we'd have lunch together and just kind of talk life. And, and I was, had these high school students who were approaching graduation 
And I don't even know how the conversation um, ended up there, but all of them began to share about their broken relationship with their father or the lack of a relationship with their father. And as they were sharing that and they were kind of talking about as they were about to graduate and, and navigate having to walk the stage of graduation and not see their dad in the audience or having to navigate getting a job without having a dad. My situation was different, but I lost my father at 16 years old. And as they shared their pain, I could empathize with the pain of walking out on a graduation stage and not seeing my dad. I could empathize with having to navigate a relationship without asking my dad for advice. And in that moment, God showed me, Jeremy, with the same comfort that I comfort you, comfort these young men. Hey, can I encourage you today? Do not waste your pain. God wants to redeem your pain and give it a purpose. You grew up in the pain of a divorced household of having to go back and forth. You are actually more equipped to comfort somebody else who are walking through the same pain. You have dealt with cancer and God, you are actually equipped to comfort somebody else battling the same illness. Maybe you had a betrayal by a family member or an ex that even though it was painful, God wants to redeem it and give it a purpose. And you are actually more equipped to sit with somebody and pray with somebody and just be with somebody. Do not waste your pain. God wants to take your pain. He wants to breathe on it and give what the enemy meant to destroy you. God is going to use to save somebody else. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you're ever going through a hard season, 2 Corinthians is a great letter. Paul actually uses the word troubles nine times, which troubles means both external and emotional duress. And he, he writes in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, uh, kind of earlier in the, in the chapter, verse 8, he says, you know, we've been hard-pressed on every side, not crushed, perplexed, not in despair, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. So he's like, man, I've been through the ringer, but I'm not discouraged. He says this then, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly, we're wasting away. You know, Paul would have had scars on his body, probably visible to people of what he'd been through. He says, inwardly, we're being renewed day by day for these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what's seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul gives us the, the cheat code of how do you prevail through pain? He says, I don't fix my eyes on that which I see. I fix my eyes on, on that which is unseen, on that which is e eternal. In fact, he echoes what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12 too. 
that we fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Watch this. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and now is seated at the right hand of the Father. You know, I was reminded of um, this week I was thinking about painful seasons of my life, like really painful ones. And one of them was when my father passed. I was only 16 years old. And I, I remembered the day, uh, the moment my dad passed. We had some family and a few friends over our house. And my dad had a hospice nurse. He passed from cancer. And the hospice nurse let us know that any moment now he could, he could pass. Um, but we knew he wasn't just passing into death. He was gonna go from death to life. Um, and in that moment, uh, we began to apply. I don't, even, I don't even know who started it, but we began to practice the scripture. The pain was real. Didn't minimize that. I was losing my dad. He was my best friend. And, but, but we began to sing and worship and we began to fix our eyes, not on the pain of losing a father or a friend um, or for my mother, a husband. We began to fix our eyes on that which is unseen. And in that moment, the tangible presence of God, it was so felt. And even though the pain here on earth was real, fixing our eyes on that which is unseen reminded us that actually in comparison to the glory that will be revealed in Christ Jesus at the end of days, this is a light and momentary suffering. Because Revelation 21 reminds us, and listen, as, you, as your pastor, we talk a lot about the here and now. I think we should, because the Bible has a lot of help for our here and now. But may we never forget, we are not citizens of this earth. That we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom and Revelation 21, four reminds us, he will wipe away every tear. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more pain. There will be no more cancer. There will be no more injustice. There will be no more abuse. There will be no more brokenness. There will be no more stress. And we will be in the presence of perfection who is Jesus. So how do we prevail through pain? We get God's perspective. We don't fix our eyes on these light and momentary afflictions. We fix our eyes on that which is eternal, on the glory that will be revealed to us. Can I pray with you, church? Bow your heads with me.